Hello, you're listening to GradCast on 94.9 CHRW Radio Western. GradCast is the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. We highlight some of the incredible research that graduate students are producing and working on right here at Western U. My name is Richard Raycraft. I'm the news, sports, and spoken word director at CHRW Radio Western. GradCast has generously uh, let me co-host this episode uh, with co-host and producer Sabrina Hope. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, Richard. And today our guest is Kobe Martin from the Department of Biology. He's a master's student. Kobe, tell us what you research here at Western. Well, I'm trying to make a vaccine for a bacterial disease in cows, and I'm trying to produce that in transgenic lettuce. Mm -hmm. So we got cows, we got vaccines, and we got lettuce. Very interesting stuff there. Uh, I know your primary work is on producing the vaccine, but uh, I wanted to start with the disease, actually. Uh, What is bovine respiratory disease? Respiratory Well, it's a disease, it's caused by a bacteria that normally lives in the nasal tract of cows, Uh, but when the cows become immunocompromised or their immune system becomes weakened, uh, it can progress into their lungs and then kill kill their lung tissue, and eventually it can cause death or weight loss and a bunch of other bad factors in the cows. Mm -hmm. So the disease... Because the bacteria is normally uh, in the environment with the cows and in their uh, nasal passages, um, it's basically only able to progress uh, into their lungs later once they are able to be infected. So uh, the bacteria is usually in farms where cows are born and raised for the first part of their life. And then later they get shipped to feedlots. And during the shipping process, the cows have their immune system reduced and weakened and they become infected by this disease. So uh, basically my research is trying to develop a way for farmers to efficiently uh, prevent the disease from uh, pro- uh, progressing in the cows uh, before they become sick in the feedlots. Now you're saying their immune system is weakened by, by the shipping process and yes. stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm interested. Okay, well, the. Usually the way that cows live in the herds on the farm uh, is a lot less dense than in the shipping conditions and the cows are also a lot healthier. So they're getting, the calves are getting milk from their mom, they're uh, having a better diet, they're getting to move around and things like that. So the calves are just generally healthier and especially because they're more spaced out, the disease can't jump between cows as easily. Mm-hmm. So basically, because of the poor conditions in the shipping process, the cows become immunocompromised and the disease can progress. Mm-hmm. Exactly how widespread is the disease? Like how much of a problem are we talking about here? Well, to my knowledge, this disease is the most costly disease affecting uh, beef cattle in the United States. So The disease is also prevalent in Canada, and it's been detected in Germany and some other parts of Europe. Um, So it's a very prevalent disease. It has a high impact factor on the beef market in general. So it's uh, it's a good target for a vaccine like this. And on that note, what are some of the symptoms of the disease in in the cows? Well, it basically causes similar symptoms to pneumonia. So you may not observe it at first, but then later on there's mucus buildup, there's a lot of mucus in the lungs, and then that eventually causes the tissue damage in the lungs and death of that tissue. And then it causes fever in the cows and other general 
sort of sickness symptoms. Um, they have weight loss during that time when they're trying to be fattened up and gain weight. So that's another uh, loss to the farmers and the producers. Mm -hmm. And then uh, ultimately death if the disease can't be cured or overcome by the cow. Okay. I've got a bit of a strange question, if, um, <laughs> sure. if I may. Yeah, shoot. So a cow is infected with this disease. Yes. Somehow it goes undetected and mm -hmm. it ends up in my stomach. I, I eat the beef or, or something like that. Okay. Um, will anything bad happen to me as a result of that? I can't say completely, but I'm fairly sure it wouldn't. The disease is pretty specific to cows. There's several strains of this uh, same bacterial species and several related species. So some strains of this bacteria can affect sheep, which are a uh, ruminant somewhat related to cows. And some of them can affect other animals similar to them, but there's no strains known to affect humans. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as you mentioned, the, the vaccine production that you're working on is, is lettuce-based. Yes. Uh, that sentence even just sounds strange for me to say, so I'm wondering mm. if you can talk about that. How does that sure. work? Well, uh, the vaccine basically consists of proteins that are on the surface of the bacteria. So most vaccines uh, like that we would take or the current vaccine against this disease are made in the same way. So they are produced in something other than the bacteria that you're vaccinating against. So there's transgenic proteins. So there's uh, a gene coding for the protein comes from the bacteria. It gets placed into a different organism and then that organism produces the bacterial proteins. So uh, we would take the proteins from that organism where they're produced, put them into a vaccine and then deliver that to the recipient. So that could be a human in how we get vaccines, or it could be a cow uh, in how this vaccine is delivered right now. So usually those organisms producing the vaccine uh, right now could be bacteria in a culture, or it could be uh, mammalian cells, so not a full mammal, but just the cells of one. Or it could be uh, like an egg, like a chicken egg. And then there the vaccine has to be extracted and then put into sort of a sterile formulation and delivered. So what we're trying to do instead of any of those production systems is to, is to produce the vaccine uh, in plants and in my case, namely in lettuce, so that it can be fed directly to the cow instead of made into an injection or a nasal vaccine or some other delivery method like that. Um, and the major benefit to this is that it's a lot cheaper to produce. So uh, things like bacterial cell cultures or mammalian cell cultures have to be done sterilely and they have to be extracted and purified, and then the vaccine has to be delivered sterilely as well. Uh, it also has to be stored in cold conditions, and it has to be shipped, and the cows have to be isolated and injected multiple times. It sounds like there's a like lot that. of conditions surrounding yes. how the vaccines are used now. Yes, exactly. So most of those conditions, what they do is raise the price of the vaccine. So that's why vaccines are so uh, expensive now, and that's mainly why they're not being used in the bovine market. I was going to ask you, are, are most of the cows vaccinated? But I guess you're implying there that a lot of them aren't? No, right now, most of them aren't. There are vaccines available, but they're, some of them have uh, low efficacy and they're also very expensive. So uh, beyond being able to just produce the vaccine, which is expensive, uh, it's also necessary that farmers have to isolate their cows and keep track of which ones are vaccinated. And uh, another... I guess thing preventing the farmers from vaccinating their cows is that the farmers don't see any symptoms in the cows until 
the cows have been sold to a feedlot, and then they develop the symptoms along the way. So from a farmer's perspective, there's not really any reason to vaccinate your cows. And with that, with added that the vaccine is so expensive, uh, farmers basically aren't just using it. So could the cows, as soon as they get to the feedlot, be vaccinated mm-hmm. then? Or is it kind of too late because they've yeah, already it's, been it's stressed? it's generally and... too late at that point. Okay. So the, the bacteria is present before they become infected. It's just naturally present, right? Right. So they sort of start to develop the symptoms on the way to the feedlot or they're getting infected on, at that point. And the optimal time to uh, vaccinate them would be maybe months before that, before they've been sold to the feedlot. Okay. And when you're doing this vaccine, like growing Mm -hmm. it on the lettuce, have any vaccines been grown on lettuce before? They have actually, yeah. There's a, well, I'm not vaccines that are commercially produced right now, but there's a lot of ones in research that have been produced to high levels that would be usable and developable into a commercial vaccine. So mine is kind of the next in a series of those. Uh, Some that have been created so far. There's one for malaria. Uh, People also produce other pharmaceutical proteins that aren't uh, vaccines per se, but are produced in basically the exact same way. Uh, So insulin is one of those. Um, I can't think of any others on top of my head, but there's there's a lot in the works. Okay. And why lettuce? Um, Is there like a specific kind of lettuce or are you just... There's not a specific kind. It's basically because the lettuce is just easy to feed to the cows and for them to digest. Um, Another plant that's mainly used right now is tobacco. So because of the method of production uh, of these proteins, um, the system for producing them was originally developed in tobacco. So it's easiest to produce the proteins in tobacco and there's a lot of background research that helps us to produce them to high levels. So that just makes it easier, but the new platform, new up and coming one that I'm hoping to improve is lettuce. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's a lot more edible. You can overcome regulations easier, feed it more directly to the cows and potentially to humans as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, uh, cause I didn't know this before that uh, plant-based vaccines are rarer than um, vaccines in uh, mammalian cells. Um, like you said, is yeah, they, they are. Can you talk to sure. me about why that's the case? I'm just. Can you explain that? Well, the the plant-based vaccine systems, I think, are just less developed at this point. Um, I think that there's a lot of potential for them to reach the same uh, levels that mammalian cell culture vaccines are at now, or bacterial cell culture ones. But there hasn't been as much research in the area yet. Uh, There are some problems, depending on the sort of vaccine that you're producing, there's some problems in folding proteins or uh, making the correct shape so that it will actually work as a vaccine, but that depends what you're vaccinating against and what you're trying to make and how you're delivering it and things like that. So those problems can be overcome, but there's still more work to be done. Uh, Some sorts of vaccines, like the one I'm making, don't really have any problem with being made in plants. So those ones uh, just need probably a little bit more work and they should be up to the same level. And that's the type of work you're doing right now. Yes. And on that note, I wanted to ask, what does Mm -hmm. sort of the average day in the lab look like for you? For me, I'm usually, well, I guess on the surface, it looks like I'm making gel-like materials and I'm putting little 
droplets of liquid into them. Sounds tasty. Yes, very much. Um, I'm, I'm often mixing vials of liquids, usually in very small volumes. I put them at different temperatures. Um, but on a, on a more molecular scale, I guess, I'm trying to make certain pieces of DNA and testing whether those pieces of DNA can be inserted into the lettuce genome. And a lot of the time there are different struggles with making different pieces of DNA, trying to join different things together and make exactly the sequence that I want. So I'm kind of coming up with a lot of different techniques to do that and sending them to be sequenced and seeing how things work out. And then I guess beyond that, another thing I do is try to improve the growth of lettuce in our lab. So uh, we kind of need to grow lettuce in special ways so that it can produce the maximum amount of the transgenic protein. And I also try to make lettuce so that it can regenerate in a cell culture because that's part of the process of making transgenic lettuce that needs to be done. So uh, kind of some work with lettuce and some work with DNA. So how does that work then? Like, um, how are you growing it on the lettuce? I guess I can't even imagine this. Like, so it's the, the lettuce is the vaccine. It's not like the lettuce has a vaccine growing on it, but it yes. is. The, the lettuce produces the vaccine. So the so lettuce is no longer lettuce. It's actually... It, well, it is lettuce. It's lettuce, but... It's definitely but, lettuce. Still. Okay, it's still lettuce, but yes. it... Uh, doesn't look any different. It, no. <laughs> or else no, the cows no, might no, not eat it. They might not eat it. So, but it it is the vaccine. Like, it has the vaccine in it. Yes. So, it's not like you just put the vaccine, like, injected it into no. the lettuce. It's yes. actually growing. Mm -hmm. So within lettuce, like any living organism... It has a genome with millions of genes, and nearly all of those genes will produce a protein. So one of the pro well, similarly in the bacteria, uh, some of its proteins are harmful to the cow, and some of those proteins will be on the surface of a cell, and those can be targeted by an immune system to destroy the bacteria. Mm -hmm. So what our technique is and the general technique for vaccines especially against bacteria is to uh, take a gene that encodes one of those proteins on the surface of the bacteria and you put it into a different organism and then that organism will produce that protein that's on the surface of the bacteria so then once we feed the lettuce to the cows hopefully their immune system will recognize that protein within the lettuce and have an immune response to it and then they will remember that protein. And then when they're exposed to the bacteria, then they have an immune response against the protein, which they've been exposed to in the lettuce. And that's how almost all vaccines work? Yes, and, a, and that's, that's the general mechanism of a vaccine. So it's, tell me if this has been correct in any way, but uh, mm -hmm. it's like an artificial immune system that's being brought into an organism almost. Yes, it's, it's something to provoke the immune system uh, that's being put into the lettuce uh, so that when the cow is fed the lettuce, its immune system is provoked by a bacterial protein, although that protein comes from the lettuce. So you're giving them, okay, I guess, yeah, this is how vaccines work. You're giving mm -hmm. them the, the bacteria while they're healthy and strong yes. so they can fight it, they become stronger, they can recognize it. So when, and later during, on. yeah, later on. Okay, so in terms of like, okay, so this is kind of jumping five, ten years from now. So sure. this is on the market. It's going to be mm -hmm. sold. How, like, this is like a lettuce package, like of seeds that the farmer 
picks up and grows some lettuce for the cows? Or like, how are you imagining this? Well, I could envision it in a few ways. Yeah. Um, one thing that they've done in my lab specifically already is they will freeze dry. Uh, they've done this with tobacco so far, not with lettuce, but they can freeze dry the plant leaves and then compact them together. So when you freeze dry plants, they lose about 90 to 95% of their weight. And then you can compact the remaining tissue together and put it as a pill. So by doing that, you know exactly how much you're giving the uh, animal. Mm -hmm. So if you want it to be more precise, you can do that. And that's what they do for animal tests right now. So it could stay at that level or optimally to reduce the price as much as possible, you could just feed the cows fresh heads of lettuce. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it wouldn't be as optimal of a dose, but there isn't really much danger in giving the cows too much anyway because it's basically just lettuce and the bacterial protein there can't really harm the cows. They can just recognize it as like with their immune system, but it doesn't have the harmful properties of the bacteria itself. Yeah, and they could just easily be fed. Mm -hmm. When they come in to eat, you just give them lettuce to eat and uh, yeah. um, rather than trying to catch them and mm -hmm. and needle them or put pills right. down their so throats. It so helps with it, the it, delivery process. Totally. <laughs> it sounds a lot easier. For sure. Yeah. Now, are you working with uh, anybody else on this, like a, a team, maybe not just necessarily at this university, but how many mm -hmm. people are working on this with you or is it just you? On Well, there's people working on different... I guess, areas of the project. There's another person in my lab trying to produce the same vaccine in tobacco. So that's kind of a backup route um, because lettuce is a new system in our lab and somewhat a new system in general. Uh, so we kind of wanted to try and go with both systems and see what can produce more of the protein. Maybe lettuce won't work at all, so we'll have tobacco as a backup anyway. Um, there's other people trying to produce vaccines against this disease in other ways as well. Uh, some people are working with spores uh, from bacteria and trying to coat those with the vaccine because they're resistant to degradation. But uh, we don't really work directly with them. Uh, one person we do work with is in Alberta and they handle uh, cows and other animals that we uh, produce vaccines for in our lab. So we don't, I don't work directly with them, but basically what our lab does is try to produce the proteins uh, in the plants, and then we would send the plant material to the labs in Alberta, and they would test uh, in animals. But uh, you pretty much own the lettuce in terms of producing this vaccine. Yes. Yeah, I'm the only person that works on lettuce in my lab and perhaps in our building. Amazing. And uh, on that note, how did you come to research this? Well, I, I did my molecular my sorry my undergraduate degree in molecular biology at McMaster, and then after that, I was looking for sort of ways to apply my knowledge because I'd sort of learned a lot about molecular biology, about techniques and theoretical things, but hadn't really gotten much in lab experience. So I was looking for a way to just get my hands-on experience and you know use my knowledge that I had and developed some skills. And I had a few different labs that I had in mind and they actually worked on very different things. So I had I wasn't really settled on working in this field for not not basically not until uh, a few weeks before I had, had actually started. But what attracted me mainly was the opportunity to combine different aspects of biology that I'd learned about. So in my project it helps 
that I know about immunology that I learned in my undergraduate degree, uh, my molecular biology knowledge for sort of in-lab things to create certain uh, pieces of DNA and things like that that I need to further my project. Um, it also helps to have the knowledge uh, of plant biology, which is something that I also had had, and uh, cell biology and other areas that kind of all come together in the project that I'm doing. So that's basically what had attracted me uh, to studying this over some other areas that were more specific and uh, couldn't make use of all the things I had learned. And just as a quick follow-up to that, going back mm -hmm. even further, uh, okay. you as a person, why do you think you're, you were drawn to biology and the natural sciences? I'm not sure if I can say. It's Maybe it's more of a just a natural inclination. Um, I did... One thing that might have uh, impacted this, I did a research program in grade 11, uh, between grade 11 and grade 12. I lived in Calgary at the time. Um, and that program would take students from around Alberta and would uh, put them in universities and work in research laboratories there. So I worked in a biology research laboratory between grade 11 and 12, and that sort of worked as a good opportunity to show me what sort of things I liked before I went into university and had to choose a path like biology to go into. So basically after that research experience, I had decided I wanted to try more research, go into it as maybe as a career, at least do something like a master's degree like I am now, and sort of pursue it and see if I'd like to work in that sort of field. Mm -hmm. And you were, um, you mentioned to me earlier um, that your grandparents, is it your grandparents mm -hmm. have a yes, beef farm? So yes, they do. did you like help out on uh, keeping care of animals as a kid or? I haven't much really. Uh, when I was a younger kid, uh, I lived in Ontario, so I would visit them once or twice a year. So I've always had the beef farm as sort of an idea of a heritage thing in my mind, but not something that I myself did very much, but mm -hmm. definitely something that I was still exposed to. Yeah, and how big is their, do they still have the farm and how big is, like they, how many had? They still have the farm. I'm not exactly sure of the state of it right now. Yeah. Uh, my grandparents, as you'd probably guess, are too old to <laughs> be working on a farm right now. And none of their children ended up taking over the farm from them. So uh, I'm not really sure what, what state it's in right now. They It's a very large farm though. I think they've had about 400 cows uh, in the past. Now I'm not sure, but uh, it is the sort of thing that my my research would be used in for sure. That's awesome. And mm -hmm. do you share your research with your grandparents? Uh, I do, I do. They're proud. I guess they're uh, <laughs> That's always good. something yeah. like Aww, this. That's good. That, uh, that could affect the field that they came from. So um, yeah, they're always glad to hear about it. Glad to hear that I'm yeah. making progress and doing new things. I was going to say, Sabrina, do you want to talk about your personal connection to this? Oh, well, I grew up on a farm. So, I, yeah, I have experience. A, da um, a dairy farm. A dairy farm. Ooh. So I, I know very well what it, what, it, what actually happens. You have to catch animals and vaccinate them. Right. Yeah. It's a long so, process. Yeah. And you have no choice as a you know, kid growing up on a farm. You just have to spend your Saturday helping mm. out. And I'm so, yeah. I was going to say, I believe it was the economist John Kenneth Galbraith who said, you don't know work until you've worked on a farm. Totally. Which I have no idea because I, I didn't grow up on a farm or anything like well, that. So Yeah, it's a lot of work and you it work is. every day. And I even now, now I'm off the farm, but I, f I have this guilt. I always, if I'm not 
working and doing something, I always have this guilt, like I'm supposed to be doing something like driving mm. a tractor or chasing an animal or. Yeah, there's always more right? work to do. Yeah, there's always work on a farm and growing up you have that, like, yeah, you should be busy, you should be contributing and doing something. So that's really cool that your research is could uh, potentially help your grandparents and uh, that you have, yeah. Other farmers too, hopefully. Or, or maybe some of the grandkids well, will come in and uh, take over that farm. Maybe, maybe I can contribute D to There that. you go, you could go out and test. <laughs> well, I was gonna say on that note, so um, say you've essentially got the vaccine and the lettuce exactly the way you want it, right. and it's, it's ready to go. Yep. What happens then? Well, the next step, uh, I guess first off, if I've just produced the vaccine proteins, there are some immunological tests you can do outside of the cow just to see if uh, it generates the correct antibodies, which are uh, something that binds the bacterial proteins within the cow's immune system. So first off would be to do some of those immunological tests uh, to see if it has capability for use as a vaccine. And then secondly is to do animal trials. So the animal trials basically, uh, there are I guess a few different ways. Uh, one thing that they can do is similar to those immunological tests, but within the cow. So just to see if uh, when I give the, the cow this vaccine, the antibodies that it produces against the vaccine, if those will actually bind to and kill the bacteria. So to do that, you probably could, uh, well, what I would do is to freeze dry the uh, lettuce material, send it to our lab collaborators in Alberta. Uh, they would give specific amounts, so they would kind of test different doses, give those to cows, and then take some of the blood of those cows and isolate the antibodies from it. And then they would, similarly, they would grow the bacteria that infects the cows, and then they would apply the antibodies to it. So hopefully the antibodies will bind to those bacteria and there will be a test to show that the antibodies can bind. And if they can, then we would be pretty sure that this is a, a usable vaccine that should be uh, able to make the cows immune to this bacteria, basically. And in terms of, um, say, meat pr beef production and, and things like that, what sort right. of changes would we see once the, the vaccine is working and it's being fed directly to the cows? Right. Well, beef production, uh, I assume, would go up. There would be less cows that are sick with this disease. Um, first, you also have to convince the farmers to be administering this because it has to be administered again before they sell the cows to the feedlot. So hopefully there would be some incentive for farmers to use it. Uh, maybe the feedlots could pay more for cows that are vaccinated or something like that. Uh, but basically there will be a lot healthier calves in the feedlots uh, a lot healthier calves during the transport process between farm and feedlot and a lot fewer cows uh, dying in general so maybe fewer cows have to go into the feedlots because less of them are dying uh, probably more beef will be coming out of the feedlots and overall the price of beef would reduce thank you so much kobe for being on the show and uh, me. yeah this has been really interesting um i sure have learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners have too so um, you've been listening to GradCast, and uh, we air on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on CHRW 94.9. You can check us out online, uh, gradcast.ca. You can see some of our um, previous shows on there. And uh, if you've got some research, MA or PhD student, and you'd like to be on the show, please contact us. 
We'd love to interview you. Thank you so much and have a great night. Give me a half an hour for a shave and a shower And I'll be outside your house Might have a little dirt on my boots But I'm taking you uptown